to be here. He wants everybody to know it. All right. Well, church, if you are able to, go ahead and try to find a Bible, whether it's one sitting around you or one that you brought, and find your way to the book of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy. Well, we're going to be looking at a text of Scripture from 1 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 1. And if you're using one of those black pew Bibles that are sitting around the room, that's on page 992. 992. Now, as you're turning there, let me just remind you of what we are doing in our time in the Word. Because typically, we walk through books of the Bible. Uh, we just, you know, we, we choose a book, whether it's Old Testament, New Testament, we just walk through it line by line, chapter by chapter. However, we're, we're taking a little bit of a pause from that, and we do this from time to time, uh, to do a series on a specific thing. Now, what we're doing right now is we're taking six weeks to look at what is the church. Right? When we call ourselves Carson Valley Bible Church, what are we communicating by that? When we are inviting people even into this building on, for Sunday morning corporate worship, what are they to expect? What are you to expect even as a participant or as a member uh, here this morning? That's what we wanted to look at uh, through a series. We're looking at six characteristics of what Carson Valley Bible Church is all about. Now, to use a, a building illustration, uh, the first week was our foundation. Our foundation, and that is we are a church that is driven and built upon the Word of God. That everything that we do as a church comes from the Bible. That it is authoritative to who we are and what we do. That we're not here to, to hear from me. You're not here to, to hear from anybody else. But you're here to know, has God said anything? Has God written a book? Can we know who this God is? What does he have to say to people like you and I? So that was first, the first week that we, we, we uh, established that we are a church that is driven by the word of God. Driven by the word of God. And then last week, we kind of started to build some of those, those main supporting walls, if you will. And that was the first wall is we are a church that preaches the word of God. That we're not only believe the word of God, but when you come here, there's going to be someone standing up here proclaiming to you what this says. And not just what it says, but what's the main point of all the Bible? And that is the message or the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. So we've been, we've been looking at that last week, and we're going to continue to do that, obviously, just through preaching. But this week, we're, we're taking another foundational wall, so to speak, and that is one of church leadership. Church leadership. Who leads the church? Who leads the church? Because the church, like any other organization, is being led by someone or something. It's just a matter of what. It's a matter of what. Now, to be really clear, we as a church are ultimately being led by Jesus. Jesus is the head of the church, right? He is the, the senior pastor, if you will, of this church. That everything in which we do falls under the leadership of Christ. But with that being said, I think that God has in his word revealed that a church should be led by certain individuals. There are certain offices or certain uh, positions within the church to facilitate its growth, its health, and that's what we want to look at today. And those offices are elder, deacon, and member. 
and member. Those are the three offices that we believe that make up a church body, a family of who is a part of the church. Now, for the sake of our time this morning, and I even regret just doing these first, these two um, and trying to do one sermon, but we're going to be looking at just elders and deacons this morning. Okay, I'm going to save members for next week. Members for next week. But even with elders and deacons, there's a whole lot that we need uh, to learn. We need to know what has God said about the leadership of the church. Because I also know this, that you can have some great memories and great influence from elders or pastors in a church. That they can hold a primary role in, in you growing in your faith. Or maybe even in my case, helping you discover your faith right? They can have incredible instrumental role in your life for good, right? Can really help you grow, can really be uh, models of the faith for you. And, and, and that is something that God has designed and implemented to be a part of the church. So I know that good leadership can be incredibly fruitful. But here's the, the other side of that coin, right? Is that bad leadership then can be incredibly hurtful. And I know from talking to many of you and even my own experiences that some of the greatest pain that you can come from a church can come from its leadership. And so hear me on this, church. Hear me on this. When I approach uh, a topic like church leadership, I do so with the utmost reverence and respect and also caution because I know how important it is for any person to be a leader in the church, a leader in the church. And I so desperately want to communicate what the Bible says about leadership, but also imitate it, right? To not be someone who's standing up here and saying, hey, look, this is who an elder is. And then you go, but why are you standing up there then? I fear that. I fear that because I love the church. And I want it so desperately to be led by, by faithful individuals who are adhering to the word of God. And so what I would like to do is, first, uh, we're going to look at 1 Timothy 3. Because it, it, there's, in this portion of a letter that Paul is writing to Timothy, he's laying out some of these, these leadership qualities, some of these qualifications for these offices of pastor, elder, deacon. And then I'm going to show you what those roles are. Like, what do they actually do? What do they actually do? But what do we need to do before even in that is Pray. Pray. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for you guys and pray for the kids. And as I'm doing that, will you guys just pray for me that I just be faithful to the word of God? Let's do that this morning. Please pray with me. Oh, Lord, I, I thank you so much that as, a, as just an individual, I can pray to you. I can talk to the God who's the creator of all things. The one who's in complete control of no matter how we find ourselves in this room this morning, whether we're excited to be here, um, maybe we've had a great week, maybe we've had a terrible week. But God, our hope is the same no matter what. Our joy is the same no matter what. And it comes from you. So God, I pray for each person in the room this morning. God, I pray that you would just allow their hearts to be open to who you are, what you have done, and even the gift of leadership in the church and how rightly established and rightly practiced can bring just great joy and great fruit into somebody's life. Lord, I also pray for our, our teachers and our kids this morning. 
as they are just learning about the promises that God has made, even from the early days, that still benefit their little souls right now. God, I pray for the teachers, that they would be able to communicate that truth, that they would be able to be on the front lines of the Great Commission this morning, and that is making disciples for your name and for your glory. And what a joy that is. But God, be with us. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. So 1 Timothy chapter 3, I'm going to be reading the first 13 verses. That's page 992. And let me go ahead and just read the full thing to you, both the qualifications for an elder and a deacon, and then we'll start walking through elders first and then move on to deacons. This is what the Word of God says. It says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may be puffed up with conceit, and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them be also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons, if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also a great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Church, that is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Thanks be to God. So as I mentioned, what we, are, what we just read was, was Paul, the Apostle Paul, writing to a young pastor named Timothy. We've actually been looking at one of his other letters the last couple of weeks. But this is the first letter that he's writing to Timothy to instruct him on some, some core elements of a Christian church. A core elements of what it means to manage and run a church. What are things that need to be in place? Because here's the reality of what Timothy found himself in in this church in Ephesus. That there was really bad teaching. There was really bad doctrine. There was also just bad leaders. Bad leaders in the church. And because of that, honestly, the church was a mess. It was a mess. And so Paul and Timothy on one of their visits discover this. And so Paul basically says, Timothy, you have to stay here. You have to stay here and you have to help get this church back to its basis. Back to what does the word of God actually call a church to do? And so what Paul is doing in writing back to Timothy is he's laying out, I think, very clearly on what a healthy church leadership ought to look like, ought to look like. So Paul starts with the first and one of the most important roles in a church, in the church body, and that is one of an elder, an elder, an overseer, as, as you can see, it's translated there. Now, just for the sake of your sanity, my sanity. At, at Carson Valley Bible Church, we use the term elder, overseer, pastor synonymously. 
okay? And I will show you why we do that in just a little bit. But when you see the word overseer, or you see the word elder, or see the word pastor, those are three different words for the same office, okay? The same office. So Paul starts with verse 1. He said, if anyone aspires to the office of elder, elder, he desires a noble task, a noble task. It means that there's work involved, right? There's actually something to do. It's not just a title, but there's an actual work to be done, a noble task. It's a noble task that God gives to men to be able to rightly lead one of the most important things to God, and that is his bride, the church, the church. And it's to lead the church and oversee the direction of the church. But here's what I find incredibly interesting, church. That when Paul begins to talk about elders for the first time here, he doesn't start with, even though he mentions a task, he doesn't start with what they are ought to do. What does he start with? He starts with who they are. Who they are. What kind of men are these? And almost exclusively in verses 2 and 3, he talks about the character of an elder. The character of an elder. Because you could have all the skill set in the world. You could have all the talent in the world, but your character will always trump that. Your character will always manifest itself more than any other skill that you have. And that's why I believe Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, knows that one of the best things that any man could give to the church is a sanctified heart, a sanctified character. And so that's what he mentions. Uh, the first few verses is what is his character supposed to look like? And look at this with me, starting in verse 2. So he must be above reproach. Above reproach. Meaning, is there going to be a time in the life of the church, or even outside the church, when someone's going to look at someone who's an elder or someone who's a pastor and say, I don't even understand why that person would be leading a church. And maybe accuse them of, of a, a sinful characteristic or a sinful pattern. And be able to say, I don't understand why this person leads a church. That cannot be for any elder. It doesn't mean they're sinless. But it means, are they easily accused of sin? Are they easily accused of sin? Paul goes on, he says, are they the husband of one wife? Meaning if, if, if they are married, if an elder is married, is he fully committed to that one wife? Physically, emotionally, mentally. Is he loving her and her alone as his bride? Is he sober-minded, right? Does he think clearly? Does he have a clear conviction on who God is and what the Bible teaches, but also who he is in Christ? Is he sober-minded? Is he self-controlled? Is he prone to go off the deep end with, without any kind of warning or any kind of uh, issue that arises maybe out of the blue? Is he respectable? Is he hospitable? You see, church, all of these characteristics are what? They're observable, right? They're observable. That's why Paul tells Timothy, hey, make sure you are observing this in your elders. Because as a church, you should be able to see these qualities of somebody's character coming out. If you do not know that this might be true or this is true in somebody's life, then they should not be an elder. They should not be an elder. Because when you lead, when maybe you're in front like, like I am right now, or maybe you're leading groups or you're leading in counseling sessions, if these qualities are not evident to the person that's in front of you, you have a big problem. You have a big problem. 
So Paul is pointing these things out. Now, let's think about these character qualities, though. Are these qualities reserved for elders only? Right? As a Christian, if you're an elder, you're called to be self-controlled. But if you're just a Christian, like, you can do whatever you want. Right? No, no, no. Of course not. Right? These qualities, these characteristic observations should be true of every single Christian who is striving to follow after Christ. Right? Every single Christian wants to reflect in their character and in their actions the God in whom has saved them. So every Christian is striving to be above reproach. Not to earn God's love, but because they have it. So what is going on here? What is going on here? Well, an elder then is not some super Christian or varsity level Christian and everybody else is on the JV or freshman level. But every single elder is meant to be out front showing the church what this actually may look like, right? What these quality characters actually look like. And a church is supposed to say, okay, if I want to grow in my, my walk with Christ, if I want to grow in my character, if I want to grow in my sanctification, who can I look to? Who can I look to to model this for me? Paul's saying, that's an elder. That is an elder. That is a pastor. You should be able to look and imitate their faith and imitate their character because they are following after Christ, right? It's what Paul said later on. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. It's not to point it to you, say, look at me, I'm everything. But it's to say, hey, I'm, I'm following hard after Christ. And there's things that, by God's grace, he's growing in me. But also, I know that there's going to be struggles along the way, and I'm going to show you how to, how to maybe uh, grow in your faith, even when you do run into some issues in your own life that you need to grow in. You need to grow in. Now, <clears throat> as a pastor, as one of your pastors, I find this has incredible weight and reverence for me. I'm a young guy. You guys know this. But as your pastor, I am calling you to be able to look at my life and imitate it. That is terrifying in some ways. That is terrifying in some ways. That has a reverence and a weight on it that every elder, every pastor gladly bears. Gladly bears. But it doesn't mean that it doesn't have weight to it. And so as I'm even preaching this sermon to you guys, I'm even saying these words, I can feel just the weight of, I am calling you to be able to look at my life and, and rightfully imitate it for the purpose of growing in godliness. What weight that is, but also what joy that is. What joy that is. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with you looking at me for that. Now, I also want to point out that don't put me on a pedestal to where if I fall off, it's a hard, long fall for you to look at. Or it's a hard, long fall for me. Because is the qualifications of an elder to be perfect? No, it's not. I will continue to sin. Continue to sin. I will continue to let people down. I will probably say some dumb things. Hopefully not in the next 10 minutes. But certainly, probably the next 30 years or longer. I'm planning on being here for a while, just to let you guys know. But I know, I know that I will not be perfect. And I pray that if and when I do sin, that I will be the first to repent of that sin. 
if and when I do let you down, I'll be the first to uh, try to correct the things that I, I can correct, but also to tell you I'm not, I'm not God. I'm not the one who's lived a perfect life. That man has come, and that man was Jesus Christ, and to point you to him. Does that make sense? But I do know, and maybe this is what I'm going to ask you guys to try to imitate me on, is be someone who's constantly evaluating and looking at their Savior and saying, God, I know, I know that I'm going to continue to, to sin. I know I'm going to continue to mess up. I know I'm going to continue to struggle to trust you, to struggle to trust your timing on certain things. And if and when I do do those things and I do it in a sinful way, that would be the first person to repent in this church of that and say, Lord, help me. I need you. You're God. I am not. So Paul even goes on <clears throat> to list a couple more areas to take notice in, in verses uh, basically four through seven. He says, how's his family? How's his family? How's his first ministry? How's his marriage if he's married? Is he thought well of by outsiders? How is his reputation in the community? Because what should be true of every elder is that you are not two-faced. You are not one person on Sunday morning and another person at the coffee shop on Wednesday afternoon. What is, what is the reputation of your pastor and its community? Do they speak well of you? Even if they don't know you, even if they don't, they don't belong to your church, can they see your character? Can they, is there aspects of your heart that are observable to them? That's what Paul is saying. And pastors need godly character to do their role. Because what is their role? Is to lead and shepherd the church. And I'm going to show you that in just a moment from 1 Peter 5. But before I get there, I want to point out something that's become a little bit controversial, uh, actually for a long time, but maybe in the last recent years, a little bit more intensified here in America. And that is, who can be elders? Is that open to both men and women? Right? A topic that many people have questions on. And many people are asking right now. And I just want to point out a few things to you. Look at verse 1. Look at the pronouns that Paul uses when he describes elders or pastors. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, overseer, overseer excuse me, he desires a noble task. Verse 4. He must manage his own household well. Verse 5. How will he care for God's church? Verse 6, he must not be a recent convert. Verse 7, he must be well thought of by outsiders. See, Paul is unapologetic on who he's calling to be a pastor. And that is godly men to the title, to the role, to the office of eldership. Office of eldership. Now, I know, I know that can be very controversial. That can be very controversial. Of why not let women be pastors? Do you not value them? Do you think they're not gifted? Do you think that they no, don't have the ability or the gift of teaching? No, not at all. Not at all. See, here at, at Carson Valley Bible Church, the reason why we hold to male eldership only is because we are fully convinced that's what the Bible teaches. That's what the Bible teaches. Right? Going back to week one of our series, we have to stand upon the authoritative, inerrant word of God. That Paul was not speaking just to that culture and that time, but he was talking to all churches for all time. So we hold to male-only eldership. Now, 
we do believe, do believe wholeheartedly that women are an incredible gift to the church, incredible gift to the church, right? They make up usually at least half, sometimes more of the church body. We believe they're incredibly gifted. We even believe that they will have meaningful roles in the church, and they do, even right now. We believe that they are equal in value and authority, or not authority, in value and dignity, but believe that God, in His wisdom, and this is what we have to trust, in His wisdom, has decided that the office of elder is reserved for men only, godly men only. It's what theologians or certain camps refer to as complementarianism when it comes to our, our church leadership. That we believe that God has created men and women equal in value, dignity, and worth, but they have different roles in certain places. Right? I, I fully believe that women could be the president of the United States, they can run companies, or they could be at home. They could, they could do all kinds of things, and they can be very gifted at that. They could have incredible roles even in the church. But when it comes to the office of elder pastor, God in his wisdom has said, hey, that's reserved for men only. Men only. Now, I think that at the end of the day, uh, I just have to say, that's, this is what just God has said. This is what God has said. And I don't have to try to make excuses for that or try to convince you of that in an entirely way. But trust that God knows what he's doing. And so this is how he set it up. Now, if you have questions on that, right, if you, if you struggle with that, because I know there's even people in this church that have uh, come from churches, backgrounds that didn't hold to this. If you're struggling with that, I would be happy to sit down and talk with you. I'd be happy to do that. Please do not hear me saying that this is the end of the discussion. I am happy to keep discussing this with you. So please find me, whether it's after service today or if you want to come during the week and sit down with me, and I can, I'd happily to go over and show you uh, all the places where God has uh, revealed this and why we hold to that, why we hold to that. But going back to the text, go back to 1 Timothy 3. Look at verse 2. Because amongst all of the qualifications of an elder's character, he also reveals a skill set, doesn't he? Also, one of the primary things that an elder is going to do at the end of verse 2. And what is it? What is it? Able to teach. Able to teach. Because the primary role of an elder in leading the church is going to be through the teaching and preaching of the Word of God. To be instructing of who God is and what a church is supposed to be about and how we are to live in, reali in reality of what God has actually done by going to the cross, by dying for our sins. Now, teaching can look different in different contexts. It doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean preaching like I'm doing right now. It could be, you know, teaching a, a Sunday school class or a small group or, or, or teaching and leading someone through a, a time in their life. Where it's more of like a counseling type environment. See, teaching can look all, in all kinds of different ways in the life of a church. But the call for every elder is to have the ability to teach. Because when you teach, you end up shepherding and leading the church. Let me show you this from 1 Peter 5. This is the role of, the, of an elder. You, you guys don't have to turn there. It'll be on the screen. This is the Apostle Peter talking to a bunch of elders. This is what he says. He says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ 
as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward. So what is Peter doing? He's encouraging these elders that are, being, are dispersed all over uh, the first century world where they were being persecuted for their faith, right? Where, where Christians were being burned at the stake for what they believe. But the call for leadership was still going forward. Church planting was still going forward. So Peter is instructing elders about what they are to do. And, and I think verse 2, 1 Peter 5, really highlights that. Really f- highlights that. He says, shepherd the flock of God. So what is an elder supposed to do? Shepherd the flock of God. Now that word shepherd in the Greek is the word pomeno. Pomeno, which literally means to herd or to guide or to pastor the sheep. It's where we get our English word pastor from. Is this very idea that you are to lead the church. And that is why I use those terms interchangeably. That I think an elder is a pastor or a pastor is an elder. Because you never see anywhere in the New Testament where an elder is not called to pastor the church. And you also see nowhere in the New Testament where a pastor shouldn't meet the qualifications of eldership in their leadership. So here at Carson Valley Bible Church, and I know some places are different, but for us, we use those terms interchangeably. Pastor, elder. Two different titles for the same office. Now, personally, I I use the term pastor when I'm talking to people, and that's mostly because when it comes to our Western context, usually pastor is not as uh, muddied as the term elder. Because sometimes when they think of elder, they can go all kinds of different ways. You know, especially if they're thinking like of an, an older gentleman and I sell them elder, they don't, they don't really quite understand what I'm talking about. Okay? So I use the word pastor when I refer to myself. But we really, at this church, every single elder is a pastor elder. Does that make sense? Okay. So what does a pastor do? They lead and shepherd the church. They lead and shepherd the church. Like any good shepherd of a physical flock, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to protect, to guide, to lead, to nourish, to educate, to heal the flock of God. The flock of God. Now, I've been around actual uh, sheep shepherds in my lifetime. In northern Nevada, we still have uh, shepherds roaming uh, the different hills of Nevada. I don't know if you guys knew this, but when I was working for the state and I was... I was tracking bighorn sheep, I often would come across pastors or shepherds of these domestic sheep that are moving them through the different mountains of Nevada. And these individuals are fascinating because they are so committed to their sheep that they don't just stand at their camp and yell at the sheep, hey, go find green grass today. No, they're amongst their sheep. They're leading them. They're protecting them. They're guiding them. And we're going to look at that more when we look at the, um, Psalm 23 in a couple weeks. How that's exactly what God does. Because he is the ultimate shepherd. He is the good shepherd. But every single elder is called to shepherd the flock. To protect. To encourage. To lead them where they must go. 
for their benefit and their good and their joy, a good shepherd knows those things and is happily going to lay down his life to see his sheep get where they need to go. And ultimately, that is following Jesus, right? That is every shepherd is also a sheep too. And they are called to follow Jesus and help others do the same. And that's what you can expect out of your elders. You can expect them to be setting the pace for the church, protecting it, holding fast to the good teachings of the Bible, remaining steadfast to what is the very truth in which we stand upon, and that is the word of God. An elder's responsibility is to hold that line, to stand firm in that. Now, there could be a lot more said about elders, but I don't even know, I don't even know where I'm at. I think I should move on to deacons. I used to have a clock up here. It's gone. I don't know what happened to it. I don't know if that was intentionally or not. Okay. So anytime a church is leading and growing and moving in a good direction, there will be tangible needs that show up in the church body. And God knows that. And we even see that in the early church. And that's where the second office of deacon or the diaconot was born, was born. Let me show you this, where this first kind of came out of, and as in the book of Acts, right? The story of the early church. Acts chapter 6. This is what it says. It says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorius, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. To the faith. So this is a story of the early church where we see the office or the position of deacon basically form. It's kind of birthed out of this area. Because what was happening was the early church was growing like crazy, right? People were getting saved. People were coming to a good understanding and knowledge of who Christ is and what he's done. And they're repenting of their sins and turning and trusting in him. And, and as the church was growing, all of a sudden there's this, this need that came up. This need that came up, and it was a little bit of a division. And as we see in chapter 6, is that there was a complaint, a complaint about these Hellenists. There was a complaint that the Hebrews were caring more about their widows than they were. So a Hellenist is basically a Greek Christian, okay, a Greek Christian. And what they were saying is that the Greek widows seemed to not getting the same attention as the Hebrew widows in the early church. And so a complaint, a complaint arose on this. And this was a very big deal because a church from day one was set out to be a church of one people regardless of your ethnicity. That they would treat you with value, with dignity and respect because you were a person made in the image of God regardless of your ethnicity. 
that was important to the church then as much as it is to us now. And so what was happening is all of a sudden this division started to happen, right? This tension started to brew. This complaint arose. And so what the early church did was say, hey, we're not going to ignore saying that serving the people is not important, but let's figure out a way that we can serve the people without giving up what's core to who we are. And so it says that they basically instructed seven men, seven deacons, let me show you that in a second, to serve the people, to serve the people. If you can look at this again, if it would be on the screen, go ahead and uh, Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 2, if you could pull that up again. So when it says that it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables, that word serve there is the word diakoneo in the Greek, diakoneo. Now, that is where we, you guys can imagine, get the English word deacon from, deacon word. Now, that word diakoneo uh, or, or diakonot uh, is a generic term meaning servant, meaning servant. It means to be someone who's serving somebody else. And, and this is a, a generic term. We actually see this uh, throughout the New Testament at all. But what the writer here, what Luke, who's, who wrote Acts 6, is, is pointing out is that they were serving in that capacity. So what the early church then did was say that the office of serving somebody, that office of leading in service to care for the needs, the tangible needs of the church, we should have a position for that. We should have a position for that. A leadership role of that, and that is deacon. So go with me back to 1 Timothy 3. You guys still have that open. And starting in verse 8, Paul begins to lay out some of the qualifications for a deacon. Because they are going to be leading servants. They are going to be ones that are in charge of hoping to accomplish some of the tangible needs in the church body. In the church body. But it's not more than just they're not just servants. Like, they're not glorified janitors. Because even in Acts 6, what was one of the things that the deacons did that had profound impacts on the church? Was not just meeting the needs, but also keeping the unity of the church intact. See, a deacon needs to have a certain character, just like an elder, because they are standing and leading the church to keep the main things the main thing. To keep the main things the main thing. So a deacon is called to do that. And they're also called to support the elders in their role. In their role. In a way that they're saying, I know you have a job to do, and I feel like I can meet the needs of this particular thing in the church. That's what a deacon does. He leads in that. They lead to make sure all the needs are met. And by doing so, they promote that church unity and support the role of an elder. Now, Matt Smethurst, he's an author. He wrote this little book called Deacons. It's part of the Nine Mark series. I highly recommend it. So it's a great read. I was even showing um, a brother here the other day. That if, there's a whole chapter on how Nazis hated deacons. You guys just have to pick up the book because I don't have time to talk about that. But it's fascinating about this collision between Nazis and deacons in human history. That just probably just got you on a whole like mental path that I'm not going to be able to recover from. But going back to what deacons is, what Matt Smethurst talks about is how deacons have this side-by-side -side work with the elders. It's not like a second legislative branch to keep the elders accountable, right? 
They have specific roles. Elders are called to lead the church, but deacons are, helped, are called to facilitate the needs of the church. And by doing so, allow elders to keep doing what they are called to do. And what he points out is because it would be complete suicide for a church, complete suicide for a church, for an elder to neglect the heart of the church, and that is preaching and teaching the word of God in order to strengthen its arm, in order to strengthen its arm and meet the needs. And so what he points out is, no, deacons strengthen the arms of the church, strengthen the hands of the church, what the church is able to do in the community while allowing and encouraging the elders of the church to allow the heart to continue to beat, to be strengthened. And so deacons have a clear role in facilitating that need in the church. So they're an incredible aspect of any church leadership, incredible aspect of church leadership. And you guys could pray for me as me and, and, um, and Ken and, and Justin, we're going to be, uh, I think, re- trying to really roll out what does it mean to be a deacon here at Carson Valley Bible Church? What does it look like to formally have those people recognized and placed and tested for the benefit of this church? Because in God's grace, we've been able to go from just a, a handful of individuals just a, you know, two years ago uh, to be able to be in a spot like this and have growing needs that we feel like it's time for us to implement the role of a deacon here at this church. And so we're going to be building that out over the next couple of months. And we're looking forward to that. But going back to 1 Timothy 3 again, I think just as much as it's helpful to look at who can be an elder, we should also look at, okay, who can be a deacon then? Is that also reserved for male onlys? Is that office reserved for male onlys? And as you look at the qualifications of, of the heart, the character of a deacon, and it points out those things, you'll notice that Paul does not use the same pronoun exclusivity as he does in talking about elders. Now, you guys are probably looking at verse 11, though. Verse 11, if you get your Bibles open, or we could get there on the screen. It says, their wives likewise must be dignified. Okay, so what does that mean then? What does that mean? Now, I would imagine that your Bible, if you have one, probably has a footnote to that. It's a footnote that points you to some place in your Bible where it explains that another very common translation of that Greek word of wives is also women. Because the word there, that pronoun, is actually not uh, there in the Greek text at all. So even a very faithful interpretation or translation of that text could be women must be dignified. Not slanderous, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Women deacons or deaconesses. Now, I would say, and this is, this is my thoughts, this is the thought of who we are as a church, that that is a faithful interpretation of the text that, that could be rightly rendered women, not wives. Not wives. And we also need to look at the whole context of the passage we're looking at, because why would Paul, why would Paul start talking about the wives of deacons and talk about how important that is, but neglect the wives of elders? You guys tracking with that? That why would he talk about the wives of deacons but not the wives of elders? Which makes me believe that he was not talking about wives, but he's talking about women. Women deacons. I don't have time to go there, but even at the uh, beginning of Romans 16, we see Paul introduce a woman named Phoebe. And he describes her as a deacon of the church there, or a deaconess of the church there. 
So it is our conviction at Carson Valley Bible Church that although eldership is reserved for male only, that the office of deacon, we believe, is open to both men and women who are qualified for that role. That is, that is what we believe. We understand that there's churches that feel differently about that. But we want to be incredibly clear on where the scripture is clear. We don't feel like the, the scripture is exclusive in its explanation on who can be a deacon. So we open that to both men and women at this church. Now, lastly, because now I know I'm definitely out of time. Definitely out of time. Those are the two roles. Those are the two roles of leadership at church. Two, two of the roles of leadership at this church. And they are incredibly important. Incredibly important for the lives of the church. But they are all going to come from sinful, fallen human beings. Like I said earlier. But you know what the head of the church is? Do you know who's the ultimate shepherd of this church? you know what Paul even said, or Peter said in 1 Peter 5, who is the great shepherd, right? Which a, a pretty good translation of that would be the senior pastor of the church. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. So as much as we are called to pursue godly leadership in this church, it is never to forsake who's the head of the church or to put anybody above him, above Christ, above Jesus. Because here's, here's the reality is he will never let you down. He will never steer you wrong. He will never sin against you. Take heart in that, Christian, that Jesus is actually incapable of sinning against you. He will always be the good shepherd who will lead you beside still waters. He will always be the shepherd who will love you and guide you. He is that senior pastor. But you know what? He is also, he's also the ultimate deacon in the church. He's the ultimate servant. Because what did Jesus do to demonstrate his love for the church? He died for her. He died for her. He gave up his life for her by going to the cross and atoning for sins of people like you and I. Even though he was sinless, he became that substitute. Not so we could make God happy. Not because we had anything to offer. The only thing that we had to offer God was our sin. But Jesus offered his perfect life. His perfect life. He is the ultimate leader in this church. The ultimate leader of every single one of you, Christian. And if you're not a Christian today, or wouldn't say that you, you're not sure where you're at when it comes to Jesus, my, my, I want to implore you to trust him. Not, not fallible men. Trust in the very one who died for you. Trust in the very one who's given up his life for the church. And that's why for us at Carson Valley Bible Church, as much as we pursue godly leadership, Jesus will always be the head of the church. The head of this church. And what a gift that is. That if we're following him, we can never go in the wrong direction. How great is that? As much as even I could, I could mess up, as long as Jesus is the head of the church, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. What a gift that is. All right, let's, let's end there. Please pray with me.